Hi, I'm Dr. Paula Redmond, a clinical psychologist, and you're listening to the When Work Hurts podcast. On this show, I want to explore the stories behind the statistics of the mental health crisis facing healthcare professionals today, and to provide hope for a way out through compassion, connection, and creativity. Join me as I talk to inspiring clinicians and thought leaders in healthcare about their unique insights and learn how we can support ourselves and each other when work hurts. My guest this week is Megan Chessink, Head Art Psychotherapist in Cancer and Palliative Services at Bart's Health NHS Trust in London. We talk about her work with doctors and how art therapy and creative practice can help in coping with burnout. I began by asking Megan about her role. I'm the lead art psychotherapist in cancer and palliative care at Bart's Hospital within the Bart's Health NHS Trust. I have, however, recently been seconded to QMUL uh, just this last month where I'm doing a PhD, which is supported by the Bart's charity. Um, And the research is specifically about uh, using art therapy to address um, symptoms of anxiety and burnout in um, hospital-based healthcare professionals. For many of us, we won't be that familiar with art therapy and and how it might be used in these contexts. Maybe you could explain how you use art therapy with health professionals and why. At our hospital, which is an acute um, hospital working well with the kind of cancer centre, a heart centre and endocrine are the the main kind of clinical areas um, at Bart's Hospital. So we work with physical health and I sit within cancer psychological services, which consists of art psychotherapy and clinical psychology. We work very closely with the MDTs, the multidisciplinary teams, um, who care for the kind of physical um, health and and also some of the kind of mental health of our patients. We have a lot invested in um, those relationships with healthcare workers on a professional level in terms of joined up patient care. So we run things like clinical discussion groups, we do lots of kind of um, psychoeducation and trainings um, and contribute to the MDTs. However, kind of support for healthcare professionals kind of beyond those normal sort of working professional roles it has been recognised more recently and, and during the pandemic that that is something that is very important. However, with the with the art therapy um, within the hospital, I'd say we, we've been very kind of uh, well-placed to address some of those needs um, and so have been doing so for, for some while, although the kind of... Um, that shifted and, and kind of developed further d- during the, the first lockdown um, in 2020. Um, so, yeah, it started a bit, I think it was about eight years ago. Um, I was going up to one of our cancer wards to see a patient for an art therapy session at the bedside. And I was carrying my box of art materials and and it's quite noticeable, perhaps, you know, kind of not many professionals lug around kind of boxes of paints and so on onto the ward. 
And there were some um, medical oncology registrars at the, the kind of ward reception desk who kind of saw me with these materials and they like, oh, can't we have art therapy? And I thought they were sort of just joking. Um, and started chatting to them and they were like, no, really. Um, <laughs> really Please. <laughs> there had been a series of... Um, of deaths on on the on the ward and kind of young patients um, who kind of treatment hadn't been successful for quite sad cases and and these doctors were really struggling. Um, I didn't commit to anything at the time and kind of went away and um, a few days later met another of their cohort who I hadn't originally kind of um, had the conversation with in a lift and once again I was carrying a box of art materials and he read my badge which said um, art psychotherapist and he's like oh what's that and this looks interesting and we started talking and um, decided okay you know we had we had a a few kind of uh, meetings and decided to see whether we could create a model, a kind of feasible structure in which we could bring art therapy or art therapy-based workshops to this particular cohort of um, oncology registrars. So I guess from the kind of outset, it was really important to have a collaborator who was, you know, one of the, I guess, the physicians or, you know, one of the healthcare workers I was wanting to to work with so that I guess that was the kind of the the start and um there's um Jahan Susai Pillai who uh, the doctor at the time who I started collaborating with and we've subsequently published a paper about the pilot um to use using art therapy to address burnout in oncology and palliative care registrars that grew out of this initial uh, meeting, um, sort of in the lift, and and then thinking about well, how can we how can we make this happen? There was a lot of thought that went into kind of structuring this program, and Jahan's input was invaluable in terms of us making it sort of realistic, and I guess kind of acceptable to the doctors in terms of how they could fit it in. And, and so that they would actually be able to attend. So those kind of practicalities were essential for, for enabling um, the intervention to be a success. Um, and then one of the psychologists I worked with, uh, one of the clinical psychologists, had um, done some work in Hong Kong. And he said, oh, you know, there's this um, art therapist I worked with, um, Jordan Potash, who is doing work with end-of-life um uh, uh, healthcare workers using art therapy in Hong Kong. And so I got in touch with him and he was developing this model using art therapy-based methods for supervision for end-of-life uh, workers. And so his work um, really kind of, and he was very supportive and um, interested. And and so that really helped me see, okay, there's already a framework developing here. I don't have to sort of make everything from scratch um, to, de- to develop a kind of six-week intervention. Um, and so, yeah, I thought, well, we're doing this. May as well do it as a pilot and and use the uh, Maslach Burnout Inventory, which is the kind of gold standard uh, measure for for burnout, uh, kind of before and after, as well as some qualitative um, kind of uh, 
questionnaire and found actually that this intervention was remarkably impactful and the feedback was really, really positive. Um, doctors who um, had originally been kind of quite sceptical about art, oh, like, oh, I can't draw, you know, kind of found themselves actually after a stressful day at work, kind of drawing a home as a way of unwinding. So it's something that they sort of unexpectedly gained and took from the experience. And how did you sell it to the department, to management? How did you get buy-in for it? Well, initially, I wasn't really able to sell it to the department or to management. So this was just something that the doctors and I did. And we did it after working hours because they couldn't get time out um, during the day. So we did it after clinics. We ran it from, um, I think it was half past six to eight at night. Um, um, But then, you know, from this initial um, series of sessions, I had the outcomes measures and, and kind of, I mean, it was a very small sample set at that point, but even then we could see there was real potential and, and um, statistically significant kind of shifts um, on two out of three of the, the um, items on the Maslach Burnout Inventory and positive shifts across all three. And also the feedback was so positive that I was then able to go to the doctors, kind of they have the kind of a clinical audit meeting kind of quite regularly and go to that kind of forum and do a presentation um, and be able to show the difference that it made and, and have these sort of testimonials and also something that I think is hugely um, helpful is having amazing artwork that people have produced because it's just so different to what the clinicians will be looking at in these types of audit meetings. And it's like, it re- they really wake up. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And kind of take note. And so presenting to clinicians, making presentations to management and so on, um, and so that first step where we were sort of very much on our own in a way really helped then to kind of, again, I got some evidence and, and this is actually working. And then I got some um, funding after that from the BART charity um, that helped to kind of free me up from a little bit of the um, kind of patient load or the clinical work in order to develop it further. So then ran the pilot over a kind of another three years with subsequent cohorts. Can you tell us, Megan, about what kind of work you were doing in the group? What, what sort of projects, what sort of work was going on? All of the workshops were structured with kind of particular themes. So um which is a little bit different to the way you would generally kind of do art therapy with um, or use art therapy with uh, patient groups. And so the themes were kind of the the first two weeks were on the theme about the kind of the self and self-awareness and the self sort of how you bring yourself to professional role. And then the kind of middle two weeks were about 
the team kind of collegial connection uh, and and those those kind of um, sessions involve making together so kind of group um, making kind of group sculptures with clay painting exercises where the kind of uh, page is shared and different people kind of work on the the, the painting to resolve issues for each other um, and the final two sessions were about kind of meaning in terms of uh, patient relationships and and also um, death and uh, bereavement in relation to patients who had died. Um, and in those sessions, there was quite a strong element of kind of mindfulness and compassion-focused kind of therapy influenced, I would say, the sort of last four um, sessions in the, the series. But yeah, so a sort of range of art materials available. What was really important was having kind of um, tea and coffee and some biscuits available when people arrived because often they hadn't had time to eat during the day. The vending machines were appalling. So, you know, kind of living on vending machine food. Um, and then a kind of checking in, you know, anything kind of left over from the week before or just general kind of checking in and then we'd move into kind of art making on whatever the particular theme was so a range of art materials kind of available to select from and having the art making at the start um, of the session in that way was really important because I think it this particular group kind of doctors tend to be very kind of cerebral and use a lot of sort of top-down processing in terms of how they kind of solve problems within their work environment and kind of approach things. And so by encouraging the use of art materials at the start of the session, it really helped to kind of shift people into a different space and a different kind of, um, yeah, it's almost a sort of relief, a kind of um, to get out of your head and into your body. Um, so quite a focus on the sort of tactile qualities of the materials, kind of noticing how they feel, touch and so on, to encourage a different type of processing. So the sort of more bottom-up uh, processing. So really getting into that sort of body-mind um, aspect of, of art therapy, I guess. And with this particular group with healthcare professionals, I think that's really, really important because, you know, they're very kind of skilled and, and kind of well-practiced at, at solving problems, um, but then some things get stuck. And so being able to kind of use a different way of approaching problems, this sort of bottom-up processing, I think was quite key actually to, to why these sessions were helpful for people and also enabling them to feel renewed because it's sort of you're able to rest one side of the brain to a certain degree and kind of nourish another part of yourself that is perhaps a bit neglected. So there'd be the sort of art making followed by reflection. So group reflection, people kind of sharing and talking about the making thoughts and feelings that have come up this kind of group discussion so that was a sort of I guess each session would involve checking in making and reflection but the themes and materials would vary. And Megan you, you mentioned those three themes though the sort of self and identity the kind of team relationships and then something about meaning and 
I was struck by that, those three themes that, that are often really core to when work hurts for, for many health professionals in terms of, um, you know, struggles with identity often being so fused with the professional identity. And, you know, when relationships with colleagues are tricky, that can be so distressing. And also, I guess, particularly with the group you were working with, you know, facing a lot of death, um, a lot of really hard relationships, you know, painful stuff going on with patients. So I'm struck by the really kind of um, hard hitting themes that the, the group was framed around. And I wonder how or what you needed to do to, to enable people to access that process, particularly with colleagues. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's really important. And, you know, providing this type of intervention within a work setting, I think one has to be quite very experienced and it has to be very kind of thoughtfully done because you don't want to make people vulnerable in, you know, with with colleagues who they then have to work with. So creating safety is really important. So at the start, before people kind of opted into joining the group, you know, there was a, a meeting in which kind of confidentiality, the, you know, what would be expected of sort of um, respectful interactions and, and also sort of how to keep oneself safe. So, you know, not to kind of, yeah, not to overshare. Everyone knows their kind of limitations, but to be mindful of this is a work setting. So that's absolutely key. Um, and also, you know, what was quite key was um, in that initial session, kind of said, well, this isn't therapy, you know, and also a called art therapy-based workshop. So it's like, I'm not your therapist. This is not therapy. We are doing this as a way of trying to kind of engage with difficult themes in order to kind of nourish and um, enhance our, our, our kind of working lives and, and, you know, lives more generally. But the focus very much being on this is something that's happening within a work environment. Um and yeah, it takes kind of skillful uh, conducting of the group, but also, you know, these doctors are very high functioning individuals. So it's not like working with a sort of vulnerable patient group, you know, they may be struggling with kind of stress and, you know, all kinds of things, but they're not a particularly kind of vulnerable cohort. <laughs> that way. So, so it's sort of things are pitched at a certain level. And, and I think if, the sessions had been talking alone, I don't think the doctors would have got to the point where they were able to share the way they did and the things they did about the patients, um, the, the sad moments, the difficult moments, how they felt, you know, treatment failed or, you know, patients that died and difficult situations. And, and the thing about art therapy is it can be a really useful approach with highly defended people because it's like a side door and you can talk about your artwork. You don't have to talk about you. You can kind of use metaphor and it's much less direct than talking alone. So there's this sort of indirect kind of route in. And also because of this sort of body-mind approach, you're accessing sort of um, feelings without necessarily the sort of gatekeeper 
been sort of as dominant as usually the kind of your mind would be. So sometimes you can access things um, in a softer or a gentler, kind of less direct way, but they can still be acknowledged. You know, and even if they're acknowledged only by the artwork that has been made, been there and sort of been witnessed or your own feelings or thoughts about it, they don't necessarily even have to be voiced. So you, there's different sort of levels and, and some people would talk more than others and then feel that they kind of um, felt better because other people had acknowledged difficulties and like, oh yeah, was alone in that so they don't have to kind of blurt everything out you know it's sort of that sort of sense of um being in something together and also having something else to focus on having the art making i think really help people to feel um yeah just less sort of on the on the spot in terms of talking about difficult things Sounds like an ideal process to help people, as you say, kind of access and acknowledge and just kind of take a pause out of their busy lives to give room and give space to some of the difficult stuff they wrestle with and carry with them. Yeah, I mean, that slowing down is essential. So the art making aspect slows things down. So during the art making, often there's no talking. So you have these extended you know, moments of silence. You might have 20 minutes of no one saying anything. And during the art making process, they're sort of focusing on what they're making, but they're also reflecting. And that is so rare for these individuals to have that time and that space to slow down and reflect is something that very rarely happens. Um, And so I think the art making really facilitates that. And to just have a silence, if you weren't doing something, I think would feel quite uncomfortable. But to have that focus and you're doing something, but you don't have to be talking, um, I think it's really helpful. And I know in the in the paper that you published, Megan, there are examples of the artwork from some of the groups, which I found really uh, profound to to see. Um, so there's something about a ripple effect of of this work that you know I think people even you know the viewing of art can also have meaning yes absolutely in March uh, 2020 kind of right near the start of the sort of pandemic in the UK I set up a um an online art therapy based kind of group for our clinicians along with a blog um, called um, Coping Through uh, Connection and Creativity. And the kind of output, so um, of, you know, what people kind of made in these sessions, we actually ended up having an exhibition of the artwork that staff had made. So some people, not everyone, but some people kind of really wanted to exhibit their work and were happy to. So within the hospital, we had an exhibition of the artwork with people's kind of little paragraph about their reflection about their piece or their experience of making it. And that was just, it was remarkable how other staff members who went to see the work, you know, their kind of comments about it was such a relief 
you know, that someone else was feeling those same things and and to sort of view that in an artwork, I think, um, gave it a different type of impact or it resonated in a different way, kind of connected. Um, people could kind of connect experiences. We also put um, um, my art therapist colleague um, and I put... Um, uh artwork up in some of the clinical spaces um where the kind of for example the corridor leading to the uh, clinical nurse specialist office with um artwork or, or photographs about sort of noticing the everyday that um, staff had kind of sent into our blog um and these um these kind of posters that we put up, essentially sort of collages of, of different um, artworks and photographs people had sent in, became these sort of hubs of, of conversation. So people would stop and like talk to each other around these and then start showing each other photographs on their phones that they had taken. And, and so they became a kind of way to connect within the you know, sort of stop, reflect, connect, kind of share images um, and, and feelings. So that kind of viewing and witnessing what is really important in terms of feeling connected. It doesn't have to be the, the making. And I know there's some research that, that shows that viewing art has a physiological response that can support our nervous systems in terms of reducing blood pressure and heart rate and things. Along with kind of the, you know, as you're saying about the positive impact of viewing art, there's been in the last 10 years a lot of development um, with uh, art therapist researchers uh, working with neuroscience to look at what actually happens in the brain when we use different art materials. So there's a researcher in the States called Juliet King and, and others who are doing really, really interesting work um, using kind of... Um, imaging of the the brain and kind of scans and so on so what happens when you use clay what happens when you use you know these when you do coloring in you know all these kind of different ways of engaging with art materials and that research is particularly in relation to work with um, veterans and trauma but yeah it's a it's a kind of growing area and it's really changing the way we understand what happens and why is art making <laughs> helpful? I know, Megan, you started this work before the pandemic when burnout rates were high um, and then COVID came along. What happened for you in, in, in this work? I know you've mentioned this lovely exhibition and the blog, um, but what are your reflections looking back on these last couple of years and, and how that's impacted on, on your work? It's helped a lot of sort of threads that I was already sort of working with to, to sort of come together and to be consolidated in a way. It certainly shifted my thinking and my understanding about sort of the role of art within the medical setting and within the hospital setting and, and with clinicians. And I think that happened through you know, in the pandemic, there was a kind of, um, we had a real issue with um, 
people being kind of cut off so from their normal support systems um you know wearing ppe cut off from their senses you know there was a real kind of um disconnection on many levels and of course that um leads to anxiety and and so i guess that sort of element of connection through creativity that had always been there just sort of came to the fore for me it was like oh okay you know this is the focus now so for example we asked to run a workshop for the ICU nurses it was sort of in the summer between the two waves <laughs> kind of reprieve and decided to use clay for that workshop because of wanting to sort of help people to kind of connect with their senses and to sort of get into the body and you know kind of brought all the gloves and the aprons and everything we had to do all of the kind of PPE and they just want they didn't want to wear the gloves with the clay I mean we had other you know use hand gel and so on but they wanted to sort of be in there and they wanted to sit on the floor and we put this sort of tarpaulin out on the floor and they were sitting together playing with this clay and it was like, I mean, I guess sort of classic attachment theory. It's like it's children. It's like wanting to play and just like relishing the connection with this material and with each other through this sort of playful kind of, we're allowed to do something nice. You know, we can use clay and be playful. And, and then, of course, kind of I did a bit of a sort of mindfulness some sort of breathing at the start and um, got people sort of into their bodies a bit and kind of noticing the feel of the clay and didn't give any directive in terms of what they needed to make or focus on. It was just they needed to sort of initially work on their own and then kind of make something in smaller groups of sort of three or four, a sort of group piece. And every single group made something about their experience of the pandemic. So one group did a, um, made a clay COVID patient with kind of drop foot being in ICU for too long, a distended belly, but then this huge heart and kind of talking about how it was all worthwhile when, you know, just those sort of moments of connection with a patient, like squeezing a hand or somebody being grateful or their relatives saying thank you and kind of being able, you know, it's sort of how that kept them going. Um, and and those kind of themes just came out and through, throughout. And, you know, they've been working together in ICU all this time and they'd never spoken about their experiences. They just hadn't. And it's like, and and also, I don't know whether that would have happened with once again without the the kind of art making. I didn't say, you know, you need to make about your experiences. Sort of knew that that would happen, but well, I thought it might, and and yeah, it it did because it needed to. But it was done in a way that was playful initially and then moved into something that could be reflective and also talking about loss and kind of personal loss and professional loss and very sort of profound themes that that came out but were facilitated through being able to sort of play together have that feeling of being connected being safe 
So, yeah, I suppose it's just that realizing and thinking also from a sort of evolutionary perspective in terms of what happens when we become disconnected. You know, we kind of feel unsafe and like all kinds of kind of problems um, result from us feeling that we are alone. Um, and, and so just really kind of, I think that was a shift for me during the pandemic is, okay, the main focus is on creating connection. So whether that's through connection with the art making, the art making process and the sort of self through that or connection to others through through the art making. Gosh, that feels like such meaningful, profound work. And you mentioned that you're doing a PhD or you've just started that process. And is that, are you going to be extending this work through that? PhD is, yeah, it's building on the pilot. So looking at burnout um, testing in a proper kind of RCT, which is a bit daunting, but I'm with the right people to help me with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, a randomized controlled trial to test group art therapy model to address burnout. And as the, the the primary endpoint is burnout with a focus on emotional exhaustion. And then the secondary um, endpoint will be anxiety. And then expanding beyond doctors to include other healthcare professionals, kind of hospital-based healthcare professionals who are primarily working directly with patients. So nurses, doctors, and um, AHPs. So on top of my to-do list now is find an art therapy group near me. <laughs> but I wondered, Megan, for those of us that, you know, may not have access to an art therapist, um, what your thoughts are about how we might be able to, you know, use these ideas and techniques to support us in our everyday life? Well, I think it's very easy to use a lot of these ideas and techniques in your everyday life. And you absolutely don't need to have, you know, an art therapist to to, to do that. Um I mean, there are a couple of things that come to mind. You know, one is um, that I mean, for for my own kind of well-being, I think you know it was really important for me um, during the I think it was during the first lockdown. I kind of reconnected with an old friend, um, professor of drawing um, in South Carolina, Sarah Sarah Schneckloth. Um, because she got in touch, she was running these kind of online botanical and geological kind of drawing workshops, which I kind of joined. And she helped me to sort of, I suppose, engage with my own kind of creativity and be a bit playful, which was really important. And I learned a lot from her um, in relation to sort of simple things that I could do for myself in terms of my own kind of art making. And so one of the things that she got us to do was to kind of, in preparation for the workshop, to go and collect botanical objects or subjects that had uh, lots of kind of small removable parts, so like a frond, leaf frond with bits or, or kind of a flower with petals. Um, and then we came together and kind of um, explored uh, with touch kind of what we had found and did kind of slow looking 
you know, just noticing everything. What does it, what does the back of the plant look like and the veins and the ridges and the imperfections? And then mindfully, I guess, always unconsciously that's the right word, but uh, destroying the plant. So kind of systematically, like plucking every leaf or every petal and think, well, what does it feel like? Just noticing, does it come away easily? Does it kind of fight back? You know, it's kind of the sound, the smell, everything of that experience. And then it's like, well, what does that feel like? It's like, oh, I've destroyed this beautiful plant. And it's quite mixed, you know, and then um, and then creating something beautiful with that and being playful. So her big thing was that you don't have to have lots of art materials you know she kind of you go to your kitchen and use you know all of these kind of products that you have at home and to be playful in trying to sort of experiment with mark making in lots of sort of quick exercises so for example kind of dipping the leaves in paint and then printing or drawing around them or you know just lots of different ways of kind of using them as a starting point, um, moving them around the page, the different kind of parts of the plant, um, yeah, kind of dropping them on, seeing where they land and create a, a drawing out, out of that. So for me, kind of engaging with those kinds of um, art workshops that really um, embraced nature and playfulness but in its sort of destructiveness as well as the kind of creation or um, was just really helpful and also really meaningful when you're kind of in a space where lots of things are broken or have been dismantled um, and needing to sort of create a new reality so there's lots of metaphor that can be found in quite kind of simple art making exercises and the the blog I mentioned earlier that um, created for clinicians at the hospital has a lot of examples so the kind of workshops the different weeks there are different themes we put up and then there's a gallery with kind of you know people who kind of wanted to send send in what they'd made so they kind of the interpretations of these themes by um kind of nurses and psychologists and various kind of different health professionals who engaged. So that's a good place, I think, to go to look for examples. And it's called Bart's Art and Wellbeing, Coping Through Connection and Creativity. So there are a number of themes, some um, very much inspired by Sarah's botanical art workshops and then taken with a bit more of a sort of art therapy slant. Um, and others that are sort of from trauma-informed um, art therapy practice, um, such as there's a, a workshop on there called Create, Destroy, Transform. There are a number of different kind of examples, also including some sort of mindful mindfulness practices, such as mindful walking, as a sort of precursor to some creative activity. So kind of weaving... Uh, being outside in nature but also kind of noticing and slow looking as part of the as part of the process and it it strikes me I guess one of the the things that I think comes up for lots of people and certainly comes up for me is some of the barriers or worries or anxieties when I hear the word art and art making in terms of 
particularly for me, I really struggle with perfectionism and, you know, experiences of school, you know, being graded on, on how good or bad your art is and, and not quite being good enough. How, how do you kind of support people who, who might be struggling with, with those kind of worries about you know getting in touch with their creative side it's very important to acknowledge those kind of fears and even sort of biases i guess you know from from the outset and most people have those you know it's sort of at some point in your life and interestingly very often around the age of sort of eight or nine you become either good or bad at art and most lots of people can remember the conversation so whether it's with a teacher they get a sort of bad result at school or a parent or, you know, there'll be a moment where you move into either category. But before that, it's just a natural form of um, communication or expression. And with art therapy, it's very much about the process. So whether there's an end product or not, very often it, it doesn't even matter, really. You could tear something up or throw it away or, you know, it's the sort of process that we focus on generally. Obviously, there's a kind of range of, of practice. I mean, this is, I think, an issue when referring patients to art therapy. Patients will often say, well, I'm not good at art. And in a way, actually, it's almost better if somebody is naive in relation to art because they don't have these sort of ideals or oh, I, I you know I need to do a really good drawing it's like well I don't even know where to start so they're able to be sort of more spontaneous so I have lots of conversations with referrers and also with patients about exactly this and my take is really that art making if you consider it I suppose from a more sort of anthropological perspective we've as humans it's I think it's just an innate one way that we communicate. And we've been using symbols, you know, to express things and communicate with each other for as long as sort of humans have been around or that we are aware of. And this sort of construct of sort of fine art that developed later, in lots of ways, is quite unhelpful for art therapists. <laughs> you know, we kind of, it's not really about that I mean that has lots of value and you know aesthetics is another whole interesting area but really this is a way of kind of just a natural human form of expression meaning making we use metaphor to solve problems and in therapy often that's what we're doing you know people get stuck and art making is very well kind of um suited to, to problem solving because you are using metaphor, kind of thinking in different ways in order to resolve something. So, so I guess that's kind of, I would tell somebody to sort of, yeah, that, that I'm not going to be judging their output. There doesn't even necessarily need to be an output. I'm much more interested in the process and sort of how they feel about the process, what that's like, kind of, um, thinking about the materials as well, not just an end product. We're also not interested necessarily in something being representational. It could be completely abstract or just pouring paint on paper or thumping a piece of clay with your fist. I had a, a patient who made something that I, I just remember as a very powerful artwork 
and she had been in a um, in clinic and had had some bad news from her consultant about her cancer. And our our art therapy session was kind of pre-planned and it was kind of after the clinic time. And she came in and she was just too distraught to sort of make anything and she just cried and cried and developed this kind of pile of tissues in front of her on the table. And she's like, oh, I haven't made anything, you know, I just um, haven't been able to make anything today. And and the sun was coming through the window and this pile of tissues was this sort of beautiful sculpture with the sort of light through the tissue and then the shadow it was creating. And, you know, and I said, well, you know, I, I think you have created something and you've been able to kind of express, you know, how you're feeling and the kind of just the terrible sadness and... Um, the despair, you know, you've created this incredibly eloquent piece. And then we decided to, well, we kind of thought about what did she want to do with her sculpture that she created with her distress? Um, Did she want to throw them away? And in the end, she made a box and kept them in the box. And that was her piece that she'd made. And for me, that's one of the most profound sort of artworks. And I still remember, I remember lots of artworks, but it just really stands out. And it was just like this moment of connection as well, being able to sort of be with somebody and to just be sad. And that in itself was sort of valuable to share that and meaningful. And so, yeah, we're not necessarily looking for it. A landscape or a still life. Maybe that's important about the materials as you're talking, because I'm thinking about, you know, for me to kind of get out a you know, piece of paper and an easel and paint, it raises all sorts of anxiety. But, you know, to, to get some clay or I love, you know, your description of using a plant like that, you know, the kind of destroying and, and you know, random just looking. Um mm. And, you know, one of the things I love my kids have taught me is junk modelling, you know, using recycling and, you know, taping it up and, you know, sticking bits together and how we can allow ourselves to be playful and kind to ourselves when we've got a bit of distance, I guess, from these memories or biases. Absolutely. And I think, you know, they're kind of using non-traditional materials and kind of recycled objects. It's brilliant and it is freeing. And there are also things like collage and, you know, you don't need to sort of be able to draw. And we work with patients who, well, um, in the hospital, this is probably a bit off the topic actually, but who might be too weak to hold a pencil um and so it's like well what do you do if you don't have a a, if you can't grip something so you can still use art materials you you need to sort of think out of the box in terms of art or what it means yes and it it makes me you know think about um, health professionals who may also feel too weak to engage in a process, you know, of thinking about emotional exhaustion in particular and, and how finding ways of meaningful self-expression 
and particularly when it's hard to put things into words and yeah so I think having that sort of um, gentle indirect approach is really helpful you know for that because you're not necessarily I suppose you don't want to be kind of asking for something more from people who are already giving too much and so it needs to be nourishing you know they need to be getting something back I mean I still remember kind of the first ever session of that first series that we ran um, of art therapy workshops with doctors one of the first drawings one of the doctors made was of a plate of food and uh, yeah, he was hungry. He hadn't eaten all day, but also I guess my sort of therapisty mind afterwards. And I was thinking, yeah, they need nourishment. You know, they need, they want feeding. They're always feeding everyone else. They're always giving out. And here they've got these art materials kind of displayed like sweeties. It's like, a, well, not sweeties, but it was like a table of food. These art materials are like, oh, for us. And like the glitter, I'm amazed. Like doctors love using glitter. It's like, oh, but it's just like I'm not a huge fan of glitter, but I've realised it has its place, kind of in in these kinds of um, with this group because it's like something shiny for me. It's like, and that's so important. I think. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. I'd love to connect with you, so do come and find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also sign up to my mailing list to keep up to date with future episodes and get useful psychology advice and tips straight to your inbox. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks again, and until next time, Take good care.